I really appreciate Dennis continuing to say young man over and over and over again. <laughs> I'm not so young anymore, man, so I appreciate it. I, I don't feel young in any way, shape, or form, um, but I'm thankful for that. Um, I am honored to be here this morning. And uh, like Dennis said, this is, uh, this means a lot to me. So I really appreciate that. Um, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, um, if you want to turn them to the book of Matthew, chapter 13, we're going to hang out there. Um, when Pastor Dennis asked me to, uh, to come this morning and to teach, I asked him, hey, is there anything that you would uh, like for me to, to teach about? And he said, just go where the Spirit leads you. And that is terrifying. Um, so that's terrifying for me. It should be even more terrifying for all of you. So we could be here for, I don't know, four, five, six hours if you want. So we could. Um, but it was so cool. I was so thankful that he did that because uh, literally two mornings later, I was reading, doing my devotions in the morning, and there was a verse that popped off the page out of this passage here out of Matthew 13, and I really do believe that with, with Passion Week coming up, Palm Sunday next week, Good Friday, uh, we have Easter morning, there's all types of celebration, um, what thing would be better to talk about this morning leading into that than what Jesus' ministry was about for his entire ministry on earth, and that's the kingdom. And so that's what we're going to jump into this morning is the kingdom of God, okay? So it's going to be one verse. So um, I have a lot of notes. I see a clock. We're going to see what we do. So here we go. So um, we're going to be in verse 44. I really believe that this, this verse has the power to change um, our hearts and our lives this morning. So uh, what we're going to do is we're going to pray, or we're going to read, and then we're going to pray. Okay, so Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, it says this. I'm reading out of the ESV version. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and tells all that he has, or sells all that he has, and buys that field. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for my friends. God, would you be honored? Um, Lord, would I be able to step out of the way? And Lord, would you move in just such an unbelievable way? Lord, we're asking for your spirit to come. Um, Lord, my words, they don't matter. They're just words. But your spirit, your spirit raises dead people back to life. And so, Lord, that's what we're asking for, is for your spirit to move. And so, Lord, be honored and glorified in everything that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so it's one verse. And before we hop into this parable, um, I think it's really easy. Like, sometimes we can take a verse and just take it out of context. Um, and and that, that can sometimes lead to uh, not understanding the verse correctly. Um, I don't think that that's the case here. I think that we could probably get a good idea of what that verse is about. But what I think happens is that if you take one verse and you're like, hey, we're going to study this verse without any other context that's there, you lose some of the depth that's there. And so when you're studying scripture, uh, don't take one verse and just go like, well, that's, that's my verse for today. I'm good. There's a depth that's to the context of what's going on. So before we get into this verse, if you don't mind, I just want to take like a minute and a half to kind of tell you what leads up to verse 44. And I think that that's going to provide a foundation for what we do this morning. Is that Okay. Three people. Awesome. Okay, so everybody else, I'm sorry. We have to do it. 
Okay, so in chapter 12, really quick, the teachers of the law and Jesus are having a battle. They're, they're, they're continuing to go back and forth with one another. This time they're talking about Jesus healing on the Sabbath. Jesus heals somebody. The teachers of the law come up and say, that's, that's the Sabbath. Why are you healing people here? And Jesus goes, because I'm the king of the Sabbath. That's mine. Anyway, so like I'm going to do that. And, and what, what's really being drawn in this moment is that there's these two different worlds that they're living in. When you're looking at the teachers of the law, they are so focused on this doing exactly the right thing over and over and over and over again, and even putting laws and more laws and more laws on top of the law that God gives to us. And he says, you've got to do this, and if you don't do this, that's it. Jesus looks at it and he says, dude, if you had a goat that fell into a hole, there's not a chance that you wouldn't, you wouldn't go after that goat. And he calls them out on it right into their face which naturally leads to them wanting to kill him. That's what they want to do. So this continues on, and in a couple verses later, what happens? Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. And now they're going to take it to the next step because they look at Jesus and they go, Jesus, you want to know something? That power that you have, that's not the power of God. That's the power of Satan. That's how you're healing people that are there. And Jesus looks at them, and he makes a, just an unbelievable statement here. And he says, anybody who takes the power of God and equates it to the power of Satan, they will never have eternal life. He makes this line in the sand, and he even says it in verse 30 when he says, you're with Jesus or you're against him. And then that leads into chapter 13. And he has all these parables, but there's one parable specifically that leads right into this, and it's the parable of the weeds. The master sends the servants out, they lay the, we or lay the seed out, all the crops are growing, but the weeds are growing at the same time. And they come to the master and say, Master, should we cut out the weeds? And, and Jesus says, nope, let everything grow up. What we're going to do is at the time of the harvest, all of the good crop is going into the storehouses, but where are all the weeds going? Into the fire. So the disciples, naturally, in all of their incredible understanding and their incredible wisdom, come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, we don't understand anything you're saying right now. And Jesus looks at them, and he says, there's these two sides. There's the kingdom of the Father, and then there's the kingdom of the evil one. Which kingdom are you a part of? And that's what leads us into verse 44. So verse 44, there is so much depth to this verse. I, I'm serious. Like I, I'm going to do my best to do this in under two and a half hours. But we could literally sit here with this verse. I mean seriously. We could sit here with this verse for the rest of the week. And we would not touch the depth of this in any way, shape, or form. Jesus is stating beyond a shadow of a doubt, there are two kingdoms that are here. And then he opens verse 44 and he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. I think that this passage is two parts. The first section is kind of like a setting and the second section is the response. And then the first one, that part that I just read there, I don't know about you, typically when I read scripture I have questions that pop up in my mind because I'm kind of 
a dum-dum. And so like I have these questions like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And so out of this part here, there are three questions that just jumped off the page to me immediately. Okay. So if you like to write notes or anything like that, here are the notes. I don't have anything on the screen for today. So if you don't like to write notes, well, praise God for that. So here we go. So these are the three questions that I have out of the first part of verse 44. What is the kingdom of heaven? I feel like that's important to know. Why is it a treasure? And why is it hidden? What is the kingdom? Why is it a treasure? And why is it hidden? I think those three questions are paramount. We must answer these questions in order for us to understand the application for us later. So first question, what is the kingdom? And I'm going to ask that to all of you. What is the kingdom of God that is not rhetorical? And here's the reason why, because I believe that the kingdom of God is the number one thing that Jesus talks about in the Gospels. The kingdom is mentioned throughout the Old Testament, it's mentioned throughout the New Testament, and Jesus says this almost a hundred different times in the Gospels. He talks about this kingdom over and over and over again. A lot of his parables is about the kingdom, and so we sing about the kingdom. We talk about the kingdom. I want to be in the kingdom of God. So here's my question. What is the kingdom? Okay, I like that. What else? I did not hear that one. Heaven's glory. Whoa. You want to come preach? That's probably... Jeez, whoa. What else? Everything. Everything. Okay. Home of justice. Darren, come on, man. You're taking my thunder, bro. What's going on? Okay. I ask that question because we talk about the kingdom all the time, man. We have songs that are literally about the kingdom of God. If Jesus, if this is his number one thing that he teaches about, we should understand what the kingdom of God is, right? One person. The kingdom is so important. We not, we, because this is where we get our hope. And here's the reason why. If I look at a kingdom, it's typically a place where a king reigns, okay? So throughout scripture, he talks about it. Jesus brings this up, and right off the bat in Mark 1, he says the kingdom. That's the first words that come out of his mouth, but it's different. In the Old Testament, everything was pointing to a future. Everybody was pointing to a place. Jesus, Jesus comes up and he says the kingdom is what? It's here. Whoa. The kingdom is here. It's right now. And you might be looking at me and saying, well, you big doofus, of course it is. He's God. He controls all of it. But Jesus is saying something different here. There are these two kingdoms that are here. And he's saying right now, there is a kingdom that is here, present, that has arrived into this world. And he talks about it over and over and over again. And he's not just talking about it, but he's showing it. Because he's going around and doing these crazy miracles, right? So he goes up. There's a wedding. They've run out of beverage. We'll say that. This is non-alcoholic beverage is what they ran out of. And they come up to Jesus and they say, Jesus, we need more of the non-alcoholic beverage. And Jesus is like, okay. And he takes water to non-alcoholic wine. That's unbelievable. 
But not only does he do that, he's on a boat, and the disciples are running down to him and saying, Jesus, we're going to die. There's a storm that's going on. And Jesus is like, oh my gosh, I was napping. And so he gets up out of the boat, and then he looks, and you know what he says? He looks at the storm, and he says, be still. And you know what happened? It stopped. Parents, how amazing would that miracle be in your life? He looked at a storm and said that. If you could just say it to one of your children. But it didn't stop there. Because all of these these people that had physical illness and sickness, they would come up to Jesus so much so that there's a woman who's literally been bleeding for over a decade and she says, all I have to do is just touch his robe. That's it. If I just touch his robe, I'm going to be healed. And you know what happened? She was. Holy moly. Are you kidding me? But it doesn't stop there. This guy had the audacity to step in front of a grave with a guy that's been in there for days. And he said, come on out. And that brother, in all of his mummified glory, walked out of that grave. See, that should blow our minds. Jesus says that the kingdom is here. He's changing the game. He's not just telling stories. He's not just doing magic tricks. He's saying one thing. The king is here, and I'm beginning to execute my authority on my kingdom. So if we're really looking at what the kingdom of heaven is, very, very simply, it's where Christ is the king. Nobody else. And this kingdom is unlike any other. And I wish we had an opportunity of going through this entire book and looking at all of the characteristics of the kingdom. I, I would strongly advise you do that this week. You want to be encouraged? You've been invited into the kingdom. And this is what the kingdom is. I'm going to give you four attributes really quick. The kingdom is redemptive. If you want a Bible verse for that, Zephaniah 3, 14 through 20. If you know anything about redemption, particularly in the Old Testament, it's when somebody would come for a slave and say, I'll pay for them. They're mine. The kingdom is a kingdom of justice. Psalm 9, 7 through 10. The kingdom is a kingdom of grace. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And here's my favorite one. This is a kingdom that has no end. It will go on forever and ever. This good king is going to reign on the throne of heaven and earth forever. Psalm 145, 10 through 13. The kingdom is good. It's something to be longed for. It's something to be sought after and pursued. So, if that's the kingdom, why does Jesus describe it as a treasure? Well, what's a treasure? Treasure is something that we value, have worth to it, right? And a lot of times we look at treasure and we go, what is it financially worth? What is, it, what is the economic value of it? But we know that treasure is far beyond that, correct? Okay. Is your family a treasure? There is not enough yeses in this house right now. I saw, you know, it's so funny because like Sunday mornings, particularly like I'm, my wife and I, we don't have kids. So there's like a wedded bliss to getting up on Sunday morning going like, 
babe, let's go to church. And we just go, and it's just like, ah, there's just a relaxation. I know my friends that have kids, there is no such relaxation in any way, shape, or form. So I guess when I ask, is family a treasure? It depends on the day. So like, but family is a treasure. It's a treasure. One of my favorite treasures is um, food. I love food. It's a great treasure. And Here's a part of my PSA to all of you. If you are interested in the greatest treasure that food has to offer, and you've never had it, you should have some Korean barbecue because it is delicious. It is wonderful. That's my PSA. What's that? Yeah, thank you. It's, it's wonderful. Korean barbecue. Yes. Go to a restaurant called Honey Pig. There you go. That's it. That's what I got. A treasure is something of great value, something of great worth. And so we look at this... And we say, why is the kingdom a treasure? Why is it valuable? Well, I think that the beginning of this book, and not the beginning of Matthew, but the beginning of this book tells us why. Because in Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God did what? God made. God is the creator. God is the maker. And when you're the creator and you're the maker, what are you? You're the You're the king, baby. It's all his. This is his universe. And in his universe, he lovingly and and, and graciously and out of his incredible joy, he makes us. And not only did he make us, he made us with his image. He made us to have relationship with him. He made us specifically to be the mirror, to be the reflection to the rest of the universe of his character and who he is. We were created to love him and to be loved by him. We were created to live in lockstep with him and to be led by his spirit and to be ambassadors of his character, to be obedient, to be worshipful, to serve him and to dwell in the king's kingdom. From the very beginning, we were made to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven, to live and breathe and move under his kingship. That was our purpose. That was our identity. That was why we are here. Our entire existence is defined by the truth of the kingdom of heaven. And if that kingdom is where I find my identity, that I find my identity not in anything that this world has to offer in any way, shape, or form, not what the world tells me, but the fact that I'm an image bearer of the creator God, the one who sits on the universe or on the throne of the universe, if, my, if the kingdom points out my purpose is to love and to love by him and to serve him and to share his glory to the world around me, if that's what my purpose is, if the kingdom, it points out beyond a shadow of a doubt that you can be fulfilled, that you can be satisfied in your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. If that's the kingdom, there is nothing on this planet that has more value than the kingdom of heaven. That's why the kingdom's a treasure. What kingdom have we been living in? So that's the kingdom of God. That's why it's a treasure. Last question. So why is such a good thing 
hidden. Now, really quick, I'm not talking about why this dude hides it again. I think that's a cultural thing. Obviously, like, it's not his treasure until he owns the field that's there. So if he digs up a treasure and it's just sitting there, somebody else might go and, and hijack it from him. So he's saying, I'm, I'm do- we're not talking about that hiding. We're talking about the reason why it's hidden in the first place. And what's the easy answer to that? What do you think the answer is? Why is the treasure hidden? Okay. Think about more general. It starts with S, ends in N, one letter in the middle. And if you say sun, not good. It's sin, right? That's the easy answer. It's sin. Sin is what hides the treasure from us. And it does. Listen to this verse. I, I was reading this. It blew my mind. Zephaniah chapter 1. This is the second time that I mentioned Zephaniah. It's a good book. You should read it. Zephaniah chapter 1. It says this in verse 17. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. I'm going to be honest with you. The blindness part, scary. Flesh like dung, even more so. That's disgusting. That should tell us something about sin. Sin blinds us. There's other passages throughout Scripture that says that we walk around in darkness when we are in sin. It creates an inability to see. But I want to try to move a little bit further beyond just just asking what is it that, that, that hides the treasure from us. I want to see what is it about sin that hides the treasure that is the kingdom from us. What is it about sin? And here's a scenario that popped into my mind when I said that. Try to imagine this. You're sitting at home after dinner watching the TV and there's a ticker that pops up on the bottom of your screen and it says another country is meeting with the United States government and is saying, we would like to take you over. And here's the reason why. We would love to take you over because we know what's best for you. If you, just, if you just agree with the, if you just let us take over, if you just, if you just put down your guns, you just say, and then you say these, these eloquent words, we humbly submit to your authority. If I just say that, I will have the opportunity to experience my best life ever. How does that make you feel? I'll be honest with you. Other than making fun of apple pie. That seems like the most un-American thing I've ever heard in my entire life. What? You want to come in and tell us how to do things, how to run the ship? This is America, or America. This is my land. I know best. This is what I'm going to do. And you have the audacity to come in and tell me how to do my thing, how to live my life? That's us. And not just in the American sense. I'm talking about the everything sense. From the very beginning, think about the garden. Think about Adam and Eve. What was it that got them across the line of sin? 
Do you guys remember? So the serpent and Adam and Eve, well, serpent and Eve and Adam is idly standing by. They're having a conversation back and forth with one another. They're having this conversation, and he's saying, hey, you should eat the fruit. Eve is like, no, I shouldn't. And he's like, no, you really should. And she's like, no, I shouldn't. Um, and they go back and forth. But then there's one line that the serpent drops right at the end that causes the game to change. Do you remember the line? He says what? He says, if you eat this fruit, what's going to happen? You will be like God. Excuse me? I can be like God? Are you serious? I can be like God? Give me a double portion of that bad boy. I would love to be like God. And you know why we feel that way? Because we are habitual throne sitters. We want to be the kings and the queens of our entire stories. We want to be gods. We want to have our own kingdom. And ultimately, that is what sin is. That is what pushes us away from God. Because why on earth, why on earth would I look for another kingdom that's going to tell me it's going to cost you your throne, your kingship, your freedom. It's going to cost you everything. It's mine. I know the best. And there's no one that can tell me otherwise. How has that worked out? And folks, just in case, if you think that this is a problem only in the world and not in the church... Let me tell you, I have seen a lot of people that have claimed Christ that have lived and led in the perspective of me, myself, and I. And you know what happens when that takes place? Destruction. It just leaves a pile of bodies wherever they go. Folks, we are so wrapped up in us. It is impossible for us to see the treasure in and of ourselves. But God. But God. But God. But God. Is there two better words in the world? I was dead, but God. I was in sin, but God. I was addicted, but God. I was blind and couldn't see the treasure, but God. I don't know how this man found the treasure. I don't know if he had a map. I don't know if he was touched by an angel. I just know that he found the treasure that was there. He found it. And I don't think it was a coincidence. I don't believe in coincidences. When I look at Colossians 1 and it says the same person that created the entire universe, you know what he does? He holds it all together. There is nothing outside of his realm. There's nothing outside of his power in any way, shape, or form. The door was opened, and the treasure and this man collided. And that's where we're going to end this morning, because there's a life-changing opportunity that takes place here. 
when he comes face to face with this treasure, there's a decision that is necessary. It's one thing for me, you know, we go to museums and stuff like that, and we go, hey, the Hope Diamond, very cool. Also, very valuable. It would be a totally different discussion if I said, I'm going to go get the Hope Diamond. (laughs) There are two different worlds to that. So I can look at value and say, like, wow, that's really valuable. But if I want it, it demands a response. And there's two different types of responses. The one that we see here, and we'll get to this one in just a second, but there's another one that I want to show you. If you want to mark your Bible here, go ahead and turn over to Mark chapter 10. Really famous story. You probably know it by heart. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem. He's on the road to palm branches. He's on to the road to Hosanna. He's on the road to ride a donkey, which also means that he is on the road to betrayal and to grief and to torture and to crucify him and to murder. And yet, even in that, there's this unbelievable discussion that takes place, this interaction. This young man comes up to Jesus, and he asks Jesus a question, but it's not just a question. It's, to me, the question, and he's asking the right person, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus looks back at him, and he says, you know the commandments. Go and do all those, (laughs) and then this guy looks back at Jesus, and he says, Jesus did that, I've been living that perfect life since I was a kid. That is not how that goes in any way, shape, or form. And for all the children that are in here, okay, I'm just going to give you a heads up, all right? If your parents come into a room and they said, which one of you did it, and your first instinct is to point to the other one, your parents know you were a part of it. You don't, just start, you don't just start pointing, this guy over here, he did it. That's what happened, okay? You were a part of it 100%. I'm sorry. I just want to let you know. You need to be a lot more chill about it, a lot more cool. Just like, just shut up. Don't say anything at all. It's like, oh, I don't know what happened in any way, shape, or form. Perfect life. You know what I'm saying? Okay? This guy comes up to Jesus and says, perfect life. And this is where it changes because Jesus looks at this guy and he was never going to finish. Well, good job, question mark. Because for Jesus, it was always way deeper than this. Jesus was setting the stage. Because for Jesus, it's not about what he was going to do. It's never about just action. Because all of us can get up on a Sunday morning and go to church. All of us can hold our hands up in the air like we just don't care when a song is going on. All of us can be kind to other people as long as it's good for me. All of us can act All of us can do, but for Jesus, it's not just about action. It's about who you are. He sees beyond that. And so his response back to the young man, and he says it in love. That's one of my favorite parts of this passage. He says he looks at him in love. He's going to give him the truth. And he looks at them and he says, If you want the treasure that you're looking for, 
it's going to cost you everything. Now, I don't want to miss what's happening here. This is not simply just about finances. Jesus isn't just asking, hey, give, give, give up your money and you'll be fine. That's important, but it speaks to something far deeper than that. Because the cost of the treasure, there's not amount, another amount of finances that you could find that would pay that off. You can't give your way into eternal life. You can't spend your way into the kingdom of heaven. There is no amount that's enough. Because the cost is you, your heart, your kingship, your desire to be like God, your place on the throne. And this is the word that I hate. It's about surrender. And here's where it lands. I wrote this down. I like this. What you value is what you pursue. What you pursue is what you worship. And what you worship is your kingdom. The end of this story is heartbreaking because the young man that has the right question for the right person, he walks away. And I think what hurts the most is that he's obviously looking for something. I don't know, maybe his heart was not 100% in the right place, but he's looking, Lord, I want to have the eternal life. I want to have the kingdom, whatever you're talking about, Lord. Can you just tell me what that is? I'll pay it until I'm not willing to pay it any longer. Not at that cost. Which leads us back to our passage. Because there is another response. The response from the man in our story is very different. Because he's presented with an opportunity to inherit eternal life as well. The treasure in the field, it doesn't belong to him, so he knows that he has to go and buy this field. That's the only way that he's going to get this field. And so you know what he does? He goes and he sells all of his stuff everything to buy the field with the treasure in it. Now, that sounds crazy, right? How many things in your life would you sell everything for in order for you to purchase it? That list is probably very small. Here's the part that I don't understand. It kicks me in the gut every single time. Because this guy, you know, always making us look bad. This guy goes, and he sells all of his stuff to buy it, but it's the three words that happen right before that that drive me up a wall. He goes, he sells, he buys, and then it says he does this in what? In his joy? In your what? Joy? You gave up everything in your joy? And you know why this is such a mystery to me? A month and a day ago, my wife and I, we became first-time homebuyers. I was expecting more applause for that, <laughs> especially in this market. For goodness sake, okay? We became first-time homebuyers. That's really cool, man. There's a treasure at the end. Of I know for a fact that there's a treasure at the end of that. You know what I also know? I had to go to the bank before I went to the title company. Yeah, everybody understands. I had to go to the bank, and as I'm standing in line... And I think in the background, a funeral march is happening. At the same time, people are asking me, what are you here for? It's like, well, I'm buying a house. Like, yeah, hooray. It's like, hey, what are you here for? I got to give a check to the title company. It's like, ah, ouch. You know what? I wasn't feeling at that point. I knew the treasure was on the other end. I knew something good was on the other end. 
I knew that there were going to be memories. There was value on the other end. But in that moment right there, there's not a chance that I wanted to see a check with a bunch of numbers. Well, not a whole bunch, but some numbers on them that I was going to give over to the title company and say, here, you can have this so I can have that. But this guy here, he says, you can have it all. Why? Why does he say that? Because it's not just a treasure for him. Woo! It's not just a treasure for him. You know what it is? It's the treasure for him. This is his hope. This is his love. This is his grace. This is his identity. This is his purpose. The kingdom, that's the only thing that matters to him. You're talking about value. You're talking about worth. The thing that answers the, the, the deepest questions of your life, who am I and why am I here? There is nothing more valuable than that. Then why do we treat everything else as it is? It's worth every cost that he could pay. There was nothing compared to the kingdom, so he says you could have it all. And you know what else? Paul says this too, Philippians 3. He's telling everybody, hey, listen, if there's anybody whose life you can look at and go like, wow, what an unbelievable life, that guy is definitely getting into heaven. He's the Jew of Jews. He's one of the teachers of the law. He's the man. I'm Saul. But in this passage here, in verse 7, he says, guys, you can have everything else. I'm going to build a cosmic scale for you. Here's the scale. You can put the universe on one side, but if you put Jesus on the other, I'm picking Jesus. You know why? Because that guy raised me from the dead. He changed everything for me. Give me the treasure. I don't need any other treasure than this. There's nothing else that fulfills and satisfies. There's nothing that answers my identity. There's nothing that answers my purpose. It's just Jesus. So just give me Jesus. And Jesus gives me the kingdom. And the kingdom is where I'm going to dwell forever and ever. Oh my goodness, just give me this treasure. You can have everything else. How would that change us? We are so concerned about all the other treasures on this planet, all of the other kingdoms that I could follow after. But Jesus is saying, there's only one kingdom that's going to live forever. There's only one kingdom that answers all of your questions. There's only one kingdom that satisfies and fulfills, and it's mine. All you have to do is say, I humbly submit to your authority. Oh. Jesus, can we have this without that line, please? Can we come to a mutual agreement, but just without that line? Nope. Because there's room for only one person to sit on the throne. And it's not you and me. You know why we celebrate Good Friday and Easter morning? Because that opens the door for you and I to be who we were always meant to be. To be loved by him and to love him forever. What is the kingdom? The kingdom is where Christ reigns. And it's the place that you and I were always supposed to be. So what kingdom is it? I can't tell that for you. I don't know. But what I do know is that he's invited us into citizenship. 
to the kingdom of God. And the choice is yours. It's just going to cost you everything on that. Is it worth it? I think it is. Lord, thank you so much for today. Lord, thank you for making a way. As awesome as the kingdom of heaven is to talk about, if the king isn't here, there's no way we're ever going to experience it. So, Lord, thank you so much for your son. Thank you for Jesus. Oh, what a beautiful name. Thank you that he came. Thank you that he lived. Thank you that he died the death that we deserve to die. And, Lord, you gave us the life that we could never earn on our own. You've opened the doors to the kingdom, and you've said, come. Come to me. And it's through Jesus. Lord, I pray for my friends this morning. Lord, I pray for anybody that's here. Maybe they are trying to figure out which kingdom they're in. Lord, I know how excited you are that they're here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in their hearts and their lives. Lord, that you would continue to draw them to yourself. And Lord, for my friends that are here, that love you, that claim you, that announce you, Lord, would you allow for us to be people that would continue to chase Continue to pursue. This is not a one-time thing. This is an everyday, Lord, saying, it's not my throne, it's yours. Lord, would you give us the strength and the power to do that? Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in a radical way. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the book of Matthew. Thank you for your parables. Thank you for Jesus. And Lord, as we celebrate, we're going to celebrate death to life in just a second. Lord, thank you for Kylie. Lord, I pray that you would be honored and glorified in everything else that we do today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.